Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We begin a new series today entitled Me Too, and I have been looking forward to, to uh, this particular series for some time, really to, to fully introduce you to this concept and this idea. I've used it from time to time in sermons, but I've never really taken the time to talk specifically about what does Me Too mean. Um, I'm going to do that through the use of the parables today, and um, I want us to look at the, the first real talk or the first real sermon that Jesus ever gave. We find it in the Bible, and it starts with a section entitled the Beatitudes, which really are just statements that Jesus makes. They say something to the effect of, if this is true, then this is true. And I don't think Jesus sat down that day and said, now I'm going to teach you the Beatitudes. I don't think it went like that. We don't really use the word Beatitudes, do we? Can you think about the last time you ever used the word Beatitudes that wasn't linked to a preacher or Jesus or the Bible? Probably not, because that's just not a word that we use very much, if at all. Um, I can't remember the last time I heard that word outside of a spiritual context. Um, we just don't use it. Um, but you're familiar with the idea. You're, you're, you're familiar with what a, a Beatitude is. It's, it's kind of like saying, it's, it's, it's like a a parable or a statement, it's, and, and you know some of these, like, let's just practice. Uh, the early bird gets the, there you go, see, you know some, you, you know some American or English um, beatitudes, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, dull boy, you sound so excited. They're just little sayings, little simple truths, but they hold some pretty deep instruction for us sometimes. And back in Jesus' day, they were really big. In fact, they're, they're still really big in the Middle East today. Um, I want to give you an Afghan uh, beatitude, and it, it, it goes like this. The first time we meet, we're strangers. The second time we meet, we're friends. The third time we meet, we're brothers. So the Beatitudes that we're going to look at, they're, they're better than that, okay? They're better than the ones we just talked about. Um, what you have is you have these big crowds Jesus has following him, and, and they've come to check out Jesus, not because he was teaching about God, but probably because they had heard stuff about Jesus. They had heard that he could do tricks, or he could do magic, or he would work miracles. They weren't really sure what Jesus was doing, but they knew they wanted to see it. And so big crowds are showing up, and whenever big crowds showed up, Jesus would sit down to teach, and you always found several different groups of people kind of hovering around Jesus as he would, as he would teach. Um, you had one group of people that really had no interest at all in Jesus, per se, telling them what to do. They didn't, they, you know, they, their thing would have been, I'm just looking for somebody to fix my problem, and I just need Jesus to fix it so that I can go on and do what I was doing. And their prayer probably would sound something like this, dear God, heal my body, fix my kids, send me some more money so I can get on with my life, and then I'll leave you alone, and I'll come back if anything else breaks, amen. That's kind of the prayer that they might pray, and that's kind of their attitude. The next group of people were a bunch of religious people, and you always have religious people in just about every group, and, and they took everything they could find in the Bible defined as sin, which is sin in the Bible um, a word picture for that, one thing we would say is it's falling short, but the actual word picture for the word sin in Greek, when you, when you see the word in Greek, it depicts an archer drawing back a bow and 
letting the arrow fly and missing the target. That's really what the picture of sin looks like in the New Testament. And so these religious people had taken it upon themselves to kind of build a list of sins and kind of grade them or rate them um, worst to least or hardly a sin at all. And big surprise here, their sins really weren't all that big of a sin. They didn't judge those to be all that much of a problem. You know, their sins were on the, it's really not a sin, and if it is, we've got a good reason why we can do it list. That was their whole attitude. And they put themselves in the place of God to hunt down and punish and threaten people and beat people up with God's word. Sound familiar to anybody? And they prayed prayers like this. Dear God, thank you that I'm not as bad as those people. I know you don't really love them. We don't like them either. And we're going to help you out or we're going to go, you know, beat them up for you in your name. You're welcome. Amen. That's kind of the way, you know, their prayer would sound. And so you had those kind of people all through the Bible as well. Sound familiar? Then you had a group of people that had been treated so badly by mean religious people, they had run from religion. They had... had Uh, run from God that religion had said hated them anyway why would you want to hang out with a God that that hates you or at least that's what you've been told so they just ran away because they had sinned so they walked around carrying guilt and shame and condemnation and they just tried to avoid the subject of God altogether or they simply let go of the idea of sin altogether and they ignored big chunks of the Bible that they didn't like, and they shopped around for, for a group of people or a different religion that kind of um, would help them piece it all together. And they kind of made up their own religion and their own belief system, and if they prayed, their prayers would have sounded something like this. Dear God, or goddess, or spiritual energy, or life force, or trees, or whatever exists, I'm going to do what I think is right in my own eyes. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do or that I'm wrong in my name, amen. You know I mean? That's kind of what their prayer would sound like. Now, I'm being a little sarcastic there. I'm actually being a lot sarcastic. But my point is this. The world that Jesus walked around in is no different, really, than the world you and I walk around in. Those types of people still exist today. Those groups of people still exist today. In fact, I would say in a room this size, there's someone that would fit into one of those three groups and, you know, at least have a, a, like a relationship of some kind. Um, and if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not, because I don't want you to be mad at me. But, but it's just probably true that we've got people that would identify at least on some level with some of that. Solomon, thousands of years ago, basically said there's nothing new under the sun. The world hasn't really changed. You know, 2,000 years ago this was the case, and it's probably never really going to change. It's probably the same way today. This is the world we live in, and this is the world that Jesus understands because he walked around in it. And this is the world that Jesus sits down to and says, this is a better way. This is the way to get connected to God. This is the only way to be full and experience the abundant life that God offers and wants you to have. And in his first public talk, he says, everybody sit down, and I want to I paint a picture of what it looks like to follow God. Five minutes into his opening talk, the first recorded talk that we have, here's what he says. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. In other words, Jesus says this. Okay, before we even get into this, I'm about to teach you some things. And if you decide that you're going to believe me, let alone embrace all that I'm going to be telling you, as the best way and the only way to really embrace the full life that God wants, I promise you that there will be groups of people who will line up to hate you. They will attack you. They will say all kinds of horrible things against you. They will accuse you of being hateful, and they will accuse you of letting go of the one true God. All because you decided to hold on to me and what I'm about to teach you about God and and about people and about how life really works best. And the reason he knew that was because people had done that to every other person that God had sent before Jesus. And he looks at them and he says, and they'll do it to you. And while I'm sure that as those people sat on that hillside and probably had no idea what Jesus really meant, I bet Jesus jumped ahead a few months to what he knew was going to happen to him on a cross, not because he came and taught Can't we all just get along and mind our own business? That is not what he taught. But because he said things like this, and if you say stuff like this, this will get you crucified. I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only light, and I'm the only way to get to God. If you want to get to him, you've got to go through me to get to him. Of all the statements that Jesus ever made, when you think about it, that might be the most offensive That might be the most divisive. That might be the most arrogant thing Jesus ever said, unless it's true. And if it's true, then it's the most loving thing that Jesus ever said because he's giving you the blueprint to get to God. He said things like, if you hold on to and abide in what I teach you, then you will really be my followers, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the minute Jesus said that, the argument that came back was, well, Jesus, we're already free. We don't need you to be free. Then they all picked up rocks and tried to stone him to death for being as, as, as so arrogant as to tell them that they had done something wrong. And they didn't want to hear that. And right up front in his very first recorded public teaching, Jesus tells us, As you're listening to what I'm teaching and as you're deciding whether or not you want to follow me or not, and you're free to do either one, let me tell you where this goes. It will cause people to hate you. It will cause people to come after you, accuse you of the worst things, and some will even try to crucify you. And I think Jesus may have put that out there as kind of a you know, last call before you head for the hills. You know, you you want to follow me or do you want to head for the gate. Here's what Jesus said was true of any person who wanted to live a full, whole life. We find it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you look at that, and you say, well, doesn't that, that doesn't really sound divisive. I mean, what's controversial about that? There's, well, let's break it down and, and think about it a bit. At first, it sounds like Jesus is going to start off, you know, on a happy note, blessed. Yeah, that's a, that's a good word, blessed. So it sounds like Jesus has brought people there to say, you want to know how to be blessed? I'm going to give you three easy steps 
how to be blessed, how to be happy. Here's 27 things that you can do that will make you healthy, that will make you happy, that will put money in your bank account. Because that's what most of us think when we think about the idea of being blessed. We think about some financial or some physical thing happening to us that we like and we respond with, I'm blessed. And we stay, say stuff like that all the time. Like we, you know, we say, you know, the Lord blessed us with a beautiful, healthy baby. Unless you're Adam and Brandy Large and he blesses you with two beautiful, healthy babies. And we've said stuff like that before, right? We've said stuff like, you know, the Lord really blessed the place where I work. I've been able to have this job and the Lord's blessed us with this house. We have this house because I have a good job and God's blessed us in that way. And I'm not saying that the word blessed in that way is wrong to use. That, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But in this context, the way the word blessed or blessed translates from Greek, the, the Greek word is the word makarios, makarios. And it had nothing to do whatsoever with my happiness is tied to my circumstances. It, 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 you know, it doesn't mean that. There's no connection. Here, blessed, or the word makarios, translates this way. Full of God. Full and wholly satisfied in God. Connected to God. And having God live in you. That's what the word means. And again, that sounds good. That makes us happy. Very, you know, we would look at Jesus and say very positive Affirming remarks, Jesus, good talk, you know, good talk. Until you read the second sentence, as Jesus kind of puts up an equal sign and says, blessing equals full of God, let me show you where it starts, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, if you're taking notes, you want to circle or write down in the margin somewhere the word poor there and how it translates, because it translates maybe different than you think. The word poor in that context translates to crouch or to cower like a beggar. Abject poverty, complete destitution, unable to help themselves, dependent upon the alms or the donations of others. And it sounds like something Jesus would say, you know, that's great, God loves poor people, we get that, and he does, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. The poverty and brokenness that Jesus is referring to here is a spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. See, the word spirit in Greek is the word pneuma. Uh, for the mechanics in the room, when we refer to a pneumatic arm, that's an arm that has compressed air in it. That's where that word comes from. That's actually a Greek word. That's where we get the word pneumonia. Um, it has to do with wind or spirit. But in this context, this is, it's the part of you that makes you, you. It's the part of you that is not flesh. We use different words like my spirit or my soul or my identity. We say things like, this is who I am. And, and I wasn't there, but I'll bet some people who were on the hill that day, people who had come to the show to see what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to talk about, and they hear, blessed are those of you who are poor in spirit. I bet some of them leaned back squinted their eyes and looked at Jesus and thought, what in the world is he talking about? Because when you analyze it, here's really what Jesus said. If a person, any person, wants to live in Makarios, blessing, connected to God, participating in the whole 
full life that God has in mind for that person, Jesus says it starts with and it cannot happen without the realization that you, not your circumstances, not your body or your health or your abilities, you spiritually at your core, in your soul, in your spirit, it needs to be poor, it's empty, it's broken, it's unable to heal or be fixed or forgive or mend what is broken between me and God. It means you can't do it yourself. You need help. Blessed are you when you realize that you are a poor, broken, empty, nothing to offer mess. Because then you are really ready to have Jesus be the king of your life. There are two realities that Jesus is teaching. One is an internal application between you and God. The beginning of having Jesus rule in their heart or in their life is to come to God with this attitude of spiritual poverty, saying, I'm broken. You know, I'm, I'm asking and I'm waiting to be filled up by God. Now, what happens is we sometimes approach God with conditions, and Jesus is saying, no conditions. You know, no expectations, no directives or commands as to what God ought to do for me, but in total submission, in total admitted need, God, I need you. God, I need you to fix me. I need you to save me and heal me and satisfy me. He says this is the way to come to God. The second is an external application. Jesus is teaching this to his followers on a hill 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years later, it's still, room for the, it's still true for this room today. To be used effectively by Jesus to bring his kingdom as it is in heaven means this. Those who desire to become his followers, his church, to represent Jesus to a fallen and broken world, we must come as beggars. We have to come as beggars who have and are being satisfied by Jesus. Not as rich people who look down their nose at other, rich, at other poor people, not like that. But as followers of Jesus, and our only con- con- credential is, Jesus has saved or is saving and changing me. In other words, oh, you're broken? <laughs> you're messed up? You need Jesus to fix you too? Me too. You've got issues? You don't have it all figured out? Me too. See, people who have been coming to this church for a long time and people who are just coming to this church for the first time, we must remember and never forget that all we are is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's all we are. That's all we have to offer. I've used this illustration before, but it's it's the illustration of a chain. Let's imagine that you and I are hanging off a cliff and we're hanging on to a chain. In order for us to fall, all that has to happen is one link in the chain be broken. It doesn't matter which link in the chain. You know, and if we're talking about the links in the chain as being sin, when you break one, you fall. The Bible says all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. It, it's, it doesn't matter which one, and you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear me say, oh, you broke that one? Well, that's gross. I've never broken that one. You know, it doesn't matter which link in the chain breaks. If one breaks, we're in trouble. We fall. The Bible says that everybody falls. Romans 3.23. Everybody has fallen. Everybody has broken the chain and fallen short 
of what God has told us to do. Nobody in this room is any better or any worse than anybody else. I'll just talk about me for a minute. I have nothing to give you. I, I am no better or no worse than anyone in the room or anyone not in the room, for that matter. See, I can't save anybody. I can't fix myself, let alone fix you. I can't convert anybody. And listen carefully, I am not in charge of who God loves and who he doesn't love. I'm not in charge of who God's mad at and who he says is okay. I have not been given the authority to say, well, I think that behavior is a sin, but I think that behavior is really not all that bad. It shouldn't even be called a sin. See, all I'm allowed to do is teach this. That's what Jesus said. This is the way Jesus said you should go if you want to have a life that's going to be full of God and with the least amount of headwind from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus said this is the way. Jesus said this is the truth. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. And you certainly don't have to do it. But this is what Jesus said. And someone would hear that and go, well, Brett, that sounds really judgmental. It sounds like you think that if I don't do what God says I should do as what's right and true and best for me, that makes me wrong. Okay, if, if you're taking notes right now, write this down. It does make you wrong, okay? When you don't live up to and don't do what God calls you to do, it makes us wrong. And so we, we do come under a, a judgment and a problem. Not because of what I think. Who cares what I think? Not because... Not because of what Cross Lane says, but because of what Jesus said. Jesus said several times in the New Testament, I didn't come to judge people. That's not why I'm here. And you know why he said that? He said that because everybody is already under judgment. He didn't need to come to judge us. We were already under judgment. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't need to judge anybody. We're already condemned. Jesus came to save us from the condemnation that comes as the wage for all sin. So let's look at the whole chapter in context. Not the whole chapter, but in John 12, 47, he says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them. So I hear Jesus, but I'm not doing what he says. I do not judge that person, but let's keep reading. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Let's keep reading. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So I know that this commandment leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. Translated, I came to save you from the consequences of rejecting what God said would lead to a better, more full life. Let me illustrate this with a story that's very familiar to probably all of us. Jesus is walking along, and these religious guys come to him, and they throw this woman at his feet. Don't know where the man is, but they just got the woman, which has always befuddled me. But they throw this woman at Jesus' feet, and they have caught her having sex with a man who's not her husband. That's called adultery. It's a sin. There's a lot of verses about it in the Bible. And they quoted the Bible to Jesus, and they said, here's the law. God says it's a sin, and the punishment is she should be stoned to death. Then they asked Jesus, what do you think ought to happen to this woman? 
And if you really pay attention to the story, Jesus agrees with them. See, that's what I think gets lost in this story is these religious leaders technically, theologically were right. Have you ever known somebody who was theologically right but handled it entirely wrong? That's what was going on here. And Jesus says, you're right. But he doesn't stop there. He says, okay, if there's anybody here who has never sinned, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. If you're perfect, if you qualify to be the one who not just condemns her but punishes her, go for it. Ready? One, two, three, go. And they went all right. They went straight home because nobody was qualified to do that. They they all realized, you know what, we're sinners too. Then Jesus asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. So you look at the whole package there and Jesus says, if there's anybody in the crowd who's never sinned, who's won the war against sin and and there is no wage for you and you're not separated from God, then that qualifies you to, to condemn and execute this girl. Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? And all the unqualified people left, which left one guy. Jesus. He's the only person qualified and who has the authority to let this girl have what she deserves. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Not because Jesus is okay with adultery. Don't miss the message. The fact that he doesn't make this woman pay the price for her sin does not mean he's okay with sin. He doesn't look at her and say, oh, it doesn't really matter. You're okay. It's all right. No, no. The word of God has already passed judgment on the rightness or wrongness of adultery. Instead of giving her what she deserves for her sin, and it is a sin, he offers her a way out of condemnation. And you say, well, Brett, how can you say that? Because there's one more thing that Jesus says to her. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that I've not finished this story. Jesus looks at her and he says, go now and what? Leave your life of... Okay. But to read this passage with anything but compassion coming from the mouth of Jesus is to misread this passage. I think the translation sounds like this. You gotta stop doing this. This is killing you. This isn't what's best for you. This isn't gonna get you where you wanna be. This isn't where you find a full life. You have got to leave this behind. Now, isn't that different than the way you heard that growing up? Now go and sin no more. I don't think that's how Jesus said that. I think Jesus' words are so dripping with compassion when he looks at them and says, look, I love you. And I don't want you to have to go through a life filled with the consequences that this kind of lifestyle is going to bring for you. This is going to kill you. There's something better for you. Leave this behind. 
He doesn't say, oh, I don't condemn you. Just go back to the hotel and do whatever it was you were doing. My grace, my forgiveness is a blank check for you to do whatever you want. That's not what he says. He looks at her and says, the life you're living is sin, which I can and am willing to forgive. That's called grace. Then he says this, but your sin is separates you from me and it is not what you were created to be and it's not what you were created to do that is called truth so we got to have a talk one of the things that is cross lane's not the only church that does this but it's hard to find churches who fully embrace both the idea and try to hold on to the idea of both grace and truth not grace or truth. Um, you see, truth would be to hammer people with, this is what God says, and you better do it. That would be truth. And grace would be to pat people on the head and say, ah, oh, don't worry about it, it's all forgiven. And both are true. They're both true. But many churches and many Christians choose one or the other. They, they cling to one. They tend to gravitate one way or the other. While we at Cross Lane, and, and I try to, as a pastor, to teach, this is what God said is true, admitting that we have all fallen short. We, none of us have got this figured out. None of us have done this right. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus to us to pay the price for our sin, we are forgiven so that we can continue on to chase after truth and to chase after what God described would be a full life for us and it was the life that God had in mind for us and here's the problem with that the problem with trying to hang on to both grace and truth is it makes you a target from both sides you see if I teach grace God forgives everything the truth people who don't happen to wrestle with that particular issue or that particular sin that I'm talking about tell me that I'm watering down the gospel and the word of God and that I'm being too easy and too nice to sinners. On the other hand, if I preach truth, the grace people tell me that I'm being mean and I don't understand the issue, and that if I had someone in my family or if I had that issue going on in my life, I'd feel differently about it. If you believe Jesus loves people more and better than anybody else loves people, and I do, then stick with what Jesus said is the most loving thing you could ever do or ever point people towards. And again, all this in response to, Brett, how should I respond when people ask me about this person's sin or that person's sin or they're doing this or that, they're doing that? My response is this. Don't attack people. Point people to Jesus. Love people. That's what you're going to hear me say. Now, let me just warn you. When you say something like that, you are going to come under some fire. People want you to agree with them, and when you don't, or when you see things in a different way, or when you see things in a biblical way, people can get nasty. Let me be clear so that we're all clear in the room. Around here, we are about this idea of me too. Me too means blessed are the poor in spirit we're all equally poor 
in spirit. We don't have a list of sins that we ignore and another list of sins that we throw stones at people for. We don't do that around here. We've all broken links of the chain, all of us. Me Too comes from what I think will be the most common conversation anyone will ever have in the first five minutes of being in heaven. When asked, how did you get here? Someone says, well, I screwed up my life. Jesus cut me a really sweet deal and paid for all my sins and mistakes, and he said I could come and live with him forever. Answered by everyone else, me too. That's how you got here? Me too. I totally train wrecked my life. And Jesus comes along and said, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to forgive you. And not only that, you get to go to heaven. And I said, sweet deal, me too. I really believe that. Are we to believe that all of us have not wrestled with issues in our own life? Are we really going to act like we haven't wrestled with issues from gossip to porn to adultery to substance abuse to gluttony to divorce or homosexuality or anything in between? Are we really going to act like we don't have any issues? Here's a news flash. You can love people even if you don't agree with all their choices. Because loving and agreeing with everything aren't the same thing, even if their choices don't line up with what you see as lining up with what the Word of God says. I simply want to do my best to follow Jesus. I do not want to become the Christian version of the Taliban. Cross Lane is not going to be that church. We love all people. We welcome all people. All people are equal at the foot of the cross is what we believe here. And, and so let me be clear. I don't want anybody walking out of here saying that I said something I didn't say or that I didn't say what I should have said. Me too does not mean that we are going to teach that all behaviors are equally good or true even if they're legal. It doesn't mean that we're going to let go of what Jesus said, no matter what our culture says, no matter what our government decides, or what some pastor, me, or the next guy here, no matter what they say, not if it violates what Jesus said. And we can't pick and choose what we're going to decide to let go of, like we're going to let go of some of the truth parts. We can't do that. Then it's just a matter of time before we start letting go of some of the grace parts too. And the grace parts are what make it possible for any of us to have a chance of being included in the kingdom of God. And if that happens, eventually what it boils down to is we got a bunch of religious people riding around like in the back of pickup trucks like the Taliban, beating up on people that they have deemed as sinners, or at least worse sinners than they are, involved in things that they don't have a problem with. And none of us want to live in a world like that, do we? None of us wants to go to a church that lets go of what Jesus said was true. Even if we don't always like what Jesus said. It's grace and truth. It's me too. Brett, what do you mean? It's blessed are the poor in spirit, that would be all of us, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And before you think, well, Brad, I've already moved past that. I don't think I'm as bad as those people. I don't struggle with the same things those people struggle with. And, and I don't think I'm poor either. 
Okay, if that's your attitude, then how about one more? Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, there's no blessing. There is no full of God. That's what blessed means. You're full of God. There is no full of God in arrogance, especially religious arrogance. We need to mourn the condition of our soul. We should be brokenhearted over our sin and what our sin has done to God, what our sin has done to other people, and what our sin has done to other people in God's name. And then God can start to put us back together in a way that will bring us together the way Jesus wants it to come about, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So let me close this message by asking you some questions, and I'm going to invite you to answer these out loud. Did Jesus love people? Did Jesus ever let go of what his father said was true? Did Jesus ever throw stones at anyone who ever had fallen short of what his father said was true? Then our job, if we are ever going to be a Me Too church, and that's really the goal around here, is we want to be a Me Too church, full of Jesus, full of grace and truth, full of the kingdom of God, and a church that brings people to Jesus, is to figure out how to hold on to truth without picking up stones and throwing them at people. We don't have to let go of what the Word of God said in order to love our friends. I'm just going to tell you, we won't, when you do this, when you hold on to grace and truth, you, you never do it perfectly, okay? We're going to make some mistakes along the way. Uh, we're, we're, in fact, we're going to mess it up. Uh, we're not going to get it right every time, but we're going to keep trying because that's what it means to follow Jesus. So what is Me Too about? It's about the fact that I love Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm lost without him. You know, it strikes me that many of you work in environments where you probably find it difficult to talk to your coworkers or your friends about the Lord. Um, I understand that. I understand that you, you desperately want to talk about your faith and you want to help people. You want people to know the peace and the joy that you've got in your heart and your life because of Jesus. I get that. But sometimes you don't, sometimes you're not allowed, sometimes you don't know. This idea of me too is a great way to do that. When you're talking with somebody and they say something like, you know, I just cannot get a, a grip on my anger. If anger's an issue for you, <laughs> you just look at them and say, me too. Me too. And they look at you now like, not like you're better than them because, or you think you're better than them because you go to church. They look at you as someone they can relate to. They look at you as someone who's humble, who, who recognizes that they've got issues and problems. Me too is the great equalizer. Me too is the thing that says, hey, you know what? That's somebody I can talk to. That's somebody who understands what I'm going through. That's somebody who, could, who might be a friend to me, and I really need a friend right now. So I want us to practice this morning. This, I hope this is a phrase that you hear around Cross Lane from here on out, okay? I hope this is something that we are constantly saying. This is just, you know, it's almost like, hey, how you doing? Me too. You know, just kind of like that. Okay, so let's practice. I'm going to say it again, and if you agree with me and believe it with me, I'd like to hear you respond with me too. Are you ready? I love Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm a train wreck, and I am lost without Jesus. Let's pray.
God, there's a whole room full of people who understand this. They understand the spiritual poverty thing that you're, you're trying to get at with the, the beatitude. This idea that, that, that we're just, we're beggars. We, we, are, we are hungry beggars looking for food and we found it and all we're trying to do is tell somebody else where that food is. We can't believe our good fortune. We've been so hungry. And now we've been filled with an unending supply. Why would we not tell somebody else about it? And God, it's humbling. It's humbling to stand under the canopy of your love and know that we've been forgiven and see the state of our life and the sin that's everywhere. And to know that it breaks your heart and it breaks our heart. But Father, I really do believe that heaven is going to be full of people with great big huge grins on their face when they hear someone's story, they're just going to say, me too. God, there are people driving up and down Lafayette Avenue right now who just need to hear us say, me too. I don't have this all figured out. I'm horrible at some of this stuff. I'm trying, but I don't measure up to the perfect life of Jesus, only to be echoed by every person in this room who would say, me too. So God, we just tell you that we love you. We worship you in this moment as the God who sees us in our sin state, helpless, not a shot, not a prayer, but Jesus. And all because of him, when everybody else goes to heaven, we get to say, we worship you in this moment and we love you